Hi friends, this is episode 75 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Hi there, everybody. So glad that you've joined us again for this episode. You will not regret it because we talk about a a verse that I've heard countless times during my life, but it wasn't until we did a deep dive into the the words, the, the language of what's actually said here in the second half of Ephesians 3 that I actually realized how revolutionary this text is in my life. It will be in your life in understanding how do you finally begin to grasp and comprehend this love of God. And when you see how all three members of the Godhead are involved in that, it's going to blow your mind. So I can't wait for you to go on this journey with us, but I just want to make sure that you know you can go to thebiblelab.com, go to this episode, episode six of God's Blueprint, and make sure you get your copy of the study guide so that you can follow along with some of the awesome terms and words that we go through. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to the Bible Lab. All right, here we go. Number one, I grew up in a wealthy home. I grew up in a wealthy home. Okay, so, uh-oh, I had no idea. Keep it, hold it up, hold it up, keep them up. I had no idea what this was going to be, but what I do see is I, I see a lot of people with no cards looking around at you people with the yes cards. And the no cards saying, see, I still made something of myself. I made something of myself pulled myself up. The vast majority, for those that listen on the audio, uh, there was probably 85% or more that raised a no card. I didn't see a single maybe card. So there's, okay, middle class right there. Okay. Uh, Middle class home. Uh, But I saw, I saw maybe 10 out of, we're close to 250, 260 people today, um, uh, raised a yes card. Congratulations. We're happy for you. You have no idea what it feels like to spend decades of your life paying off a student loan. Um, talk to us afterwards. We'll, we'll be glad to share. So many of you, when I said I grew up in a wealthy home, whatever, we immediately went to financial wealth, didn't we? Yeah, okay. So we're going to talk. Maybe at the end we'll take another vote. Because we are so stinking wealthy in God's spiritual wealth. He is so incredibly generous in what he's given to us, that when you understand the wealth that you grew up with and the wealth that you haven't even tapped into yet, some of you who are very much devout in your spiritual walk, many of you have not realized what you can still tap into. That's above and beyond anything you could ever ask or imagine. We're going to talk about that today if we don't get stuck at the beginning and not get there. Number two, If not for the other people in this room, I would not be able to grasp God's love. If not for the other people in this room, I would not be able to grasp God's love. Yeah, this is a tough one, isn't it? We're all over the place. We're split. The yes and no's are equal, and I'm seeing about eight to ten maybe cards. This is a tough one. 
But we're going to talk about this in detail because God will share with you through Paul's words to the Ephesians about the role of community and about how community actually helps you grasp more than you can on your own. I know a lot of people today say, we, you know, church is not a building. I, I can sit at home and I can watch the program on TV. I disagree, and so does Ephesians. Because there's something that you can only grasp in the community of people who are seeking a relationship with God. That's why so many of you keep coming back to the Bible lab, because there's something that happens here week after week that you can't get watching TV or watching your iPad. There's something about the interactivity, and Christ said it this way, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'll be there. There's something about being in the presence of God as community that allows you to grasp things that you never grasp on your own as hard as you try. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today as well. Number three, you must be internally strong before you can fully experience love. You must be internally strong before you can fully experience love. Okay, I'm seeing a vast majority of no, uh, which is like, uh, I'd say almost 95% no, and almost 5% yes, because there's a couple of maybes. I see three maybes. This is a tough one especially for people like me who are independent. I don't need nobody else. I don't need to have this strength in order to grasp God's love. It's in my weakness, I've heard. Have you heard it's in your weakness that you understand God's love? Well, there's truth to that. But you're going to see today there's an aspect that involves all three of the Trinity that, quite frankly, I, I've never heard preached before, and it's pretty clear in the text that we're going to go through today that unless you are strengthened internally by God, the Father, the Spirit, and Jesus Christ dwelling there, you will never fully grasp the love that God has for you. And we're going to talk about that today. So in other words, 95% of you were wrong. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Just kidding. You're not wrong. You're just misunderstood. Number four, it is impossible to truly know the extent of God's love. It is impossible to truly know the extent of God's love. These are hard ones today, I can tell. Okay, most of you are saying yes. I'm seeing about 97% yes and about uh, 3% no, and there's a, a maybe or two in the crowd. Okay, we're going to talk about this because if it is truly impossible to know the extent of God's love, um, we have problems with this text as well. Because Paul prays for something that's impossible. Paul has a prayer request that's something impossible. It would be like you saying, for my birthday, I not only want a pony, I want a unicorn pony. Right? It's kind of an impossible prayer. Um, that's what we're saying if we say yes here. So we're going to go into detail here as far as saying, okay, so what is impossible and what is impossible, uh, what's impossible and what's possible in truly understanding God's love. Number five. We limit God by our short-sighted imaginations and requests. We limit God by our short-sighted imaginations and requests. Yes, no, or maybe. Okay, most of you are saying yes. Okay, I'm saying, wow, this is like 99% yes and 1% no. Okay. I'm really split personally on this one because I could say yes and I could say no. So I'll probably say maybe on this one. 
Because the Bible says that God is able to do beyond, and we'll see all the words, it's very superfluous in the words, beyond what you, what you ever ask or imagine. So does he only do the things to the letter of what you ask for? Or like you, a good parent, you've got some gifts coming to your kids this Christmas that go beyond what they asked for or even imagined. So are you a better parent than God? So we're going to have to talk about this, God giving you beyond what you can ask or imagine or whether he holds back. And what's that say about God? All right, so to start us out, I have to ask you this question. Before we even, before we even read uh, verses 14 to 21 of Ephesians chapter 3, I have to ask you, when you were younger, what parts of God's love did you question or doubt? When you were younger, what parts of God's love did you question or doubt? Comment card right here. Just raise your comment card or question cards, and we'll get a microphone right to you. Yeah, Mark. So, um, minister's kid. Yeah. And so that, I, I enjoyed uh, my family of origin. I would say, though, that in my family, my father was very much black or white in, in the way that he was thinking. Yeah, and that generationally, that's where we were, you know, when we were growing up. Very much so. Yeah. And so, you know, if I, if, you know, I see, I see a lot of gray and so if I was gray, then that, that was not white, that was black. Yeah, because it had, had black in it. That's what made it a yes. gray area. So yes. you, we call those absolutes. Right. In fact, in seminary, uh, I'll recall, and this is between 95 and 97, uh, we had a, a big symposium. And all these guys came in because they were afraid because they saw the transition. They say, we don't have absolutes anymore. Mm-hmm. This is horrible. And they were calling it pluralism, which it wasn't. But they were saying this is bad because we don't have black and white anymore. Mm-hmm. All we have is all this gray area. And if it's gray, it's because gradualization has caused us to weaken our stance on an absolute. Right, right. Yeah. And, and so if the, and then by extension, if the end goal is to make it into heaven and you don't make it into heaven, does, then that means that you don't have God's love. Yeah. At least that's... Yeah. The thought. And I love how you said it because that's, that was a phraseology I grew up with as well. Uh, you didn't make it into heaven. Right. Are you going to make it into heaven? Right. Who's, who's doing the making? It, it was all about you. And we could read the Gospels and see the only people that Jesus really had a hard time with were the people who were saying, this is how you make it spiritually. And, uh, and we can read the Gospels, just like today. We can read uh, through the Bible. And we're, even in the Bible lab, we're missing a lot of stuff just simply because God's taking, taking us on a journey as far as we can go in this time with our understanding. But we have so much baggage. We've got so much baggage of tradition that keeps us from, say, from seeing what God really is trying to say in, in Scripture. And so you're, you're right. I grew up in that same feeling at church that... I was not making it. I was definitely making more mistakes than I was making good choices. And because of that, I questioned God's love of me because love was equated with basically compliments. Would God compliment me for this? If he could compliment me on it, he loved me. If he couldn't compliment me on that behavior, he did not love me. And I had turned my back on him, so of course he'll turn his back on me. That's what I grew up with. Exactly. Thank you. Uh, purple microphone. Yes, back there. Is that Olivia? Yes. 
I was introduced to God at a very early age and fell in love with God and wanted to serve Him. I'm talking five years old. Mm. And, uh, and the introduction I had was from my mother, who always said that God was watching me. <laughs> But she added, so if you do anything wrong, you better watch out. Yes. So I knew nothing of God's love <laughs> except to fear him terribly. Yes. And if I would go out, I would look all over all the time because God was watching me. Yes. He sees you when you're sleeping. Yes, he exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah we, we turned God into Santa Claus, didn't we? Yes. Yeah. So I searched and got to know God more and more on my own because I could not believe that such a wonderful, wondrous God stories that I'd heard yeah. didn't love me. Yeah. And I did everything for him to love me. I'm 90 years old, and it wasn't until maybe 10 years ago that the New Testament helped me yeah. to know that he, and the Bible lab, that he is a God of love. Yeah. I had a hard time understanding the wrath that I used to read about, yeah. but now I, don't, I understand perfectly yeah. his love for me. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you, Olivia. Young people, don't, don't lose heart. It's never too late. That's what she just said. Back here, uh, blue microphone. Yes. What, what, what was the question again, Pastor? Uh, yeah, as you were growing up, it's, it's right here uh, just before the verse. When you were younger, what parts of God's love did you question or doubt? Yeah. Um, I think I questioned a lot when, uh, when I was only three years old, my mom passed away. So growing up, I was like, why? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Why, well, God? If you love me, why would why would you let me go through something so vital as having yeah. a mother? Absolutely. You know, back in my uh, era, which had been a long time ago, we would be taught at home, at school, and at church that God was love, but He was always looking over our shoulder to find out anything that yeah. could possibly keep us out of heaven. Yeah. So it seemed anyway. Yeah, and and, and and it was taught more, and it made sense because we used the term tough love. And also, um, if our name should come up in review in the judgment, and we happen to be playing, well, volleyball or some other thing like that, or some sports or something that might have been questionable, we were zapped right yeah. then and there. Yeah. And no matter how far you try to repent at the next week of prayer, it would not avail anything because you were already decided. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's true. Many of us grew up in fear because we knew there was at least one sin that we had not asked for forgiveness for by name. And if you didn't ask for forgiveness for that sin by name, that would keep you out of heaven. And so a lot of fear mongering was going on, but we never asked the question, so what's it say about God? What's it say? He'd rather see you burn because you didn't ask for forgiveness yeah, and it, what we taught people is God does not want you in heaven. Despite the fact that Jesus came down in all of his kingdom tales, his, his parables, he would share time and time again how much more desperate God is to have you in heaven than to not have you in heaven. In fact, Matthew 22, verse 8 to 10, uh, the story of this great banquet, this wedding feast, uh, the king sends his servants out to get people who don't even belong to his kingdom, 
beyond the hedge is, is the phrase there. And he brings them in, verse 8 through 10. It says, uh, I want you to bring them in, the bad and the good. Luke's version says, the, the poor, the lame, the blind. Uh, the, the poor, the lame, the blind, the lame. Holy cow, I can't say it. Anyways, the poor, the blind, the lame. And uh, yeah, we read that and we're like, oh yeah, he's, he's sensitive. He's ADA compliant, making sure all the poor <laughs> handicapped can, can show up too. They put a ramp there. That's not what he's saying. Because the people in Jesus' day equated being poor, being blind, being lame in any way with you're paying for a sin that you committed. And unless you allow that person to go through the full suffering, the consequences of their sin, you are keeping them from salvation. And so it would encourage you not to have outreach to the homeless, to not feed the poor, the hungry, to not help the people who are lame because you are undoing their salvation. In fact, they asked Jesus that sometimes, who, who sinned that this man was born blind, he or his parents? Because there were still Jews at that time that believed in reincarnation. And they believed this poor guy who was born blind might have done something in his past life that needed to be atoned for by his own suffering. And in many ways, that has never left us in our view of God. That's why Jesus came down and had to say all these stories about how God is desperate for you to be in heaven. He's not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. Red microphone right here. Yeah, um, I, I grew up in, my dad was a, a pastor in the evangelical church. Awesome. And then in Cameroon, I'm Cameroonian by nice, birth. Nice, welcome. Yeah, thank you. I had malaria all the time and requiring injections and um, I questioned God's love, God's love, yeah. asking why I was so sick even as my dad was serving him, yeah. you know, um, I got angry yeah. but dad himself didn't, was not able to explain to me yeah. uh, that uh, illness is just a consequence of, of what Adam yeah. and Eve did yeah. in the in in the Garden of, of Eden, yeah. and uh, and in addition to that, Cameroon is an endemic area for malaria. So, yeah. I understood that later. Yeah, yeah. You you probably found yourself very much in parallel with David, the psalmist, King David, who was every other psalm saying, "God, why is this happening to me?" or why are the good people suffering and the bad people are prospering? It's every other psalm. He's asking, why, God? Why are all these problems? And so in many ways, I imagine you really resonated with the psalms, or at least the psalmist. Yes. Yeah, exactly. As we look at today's text, I'm going to get to, to Randy here real quick, but as we look at today's text, I want you to keep in, in mind, there is a shift in perspective that we have to have. Many of us no matter what your age, many of us have grown up in a church that is trying desperately to get out of bad theology, a theology that says that God loves you, but, just like what you said over there, God loves you, but justice is more important than mercy. When you read elsewhere, even in the Old Testament, in Micah, where he's like, I would rather, I, I would rather you, you know, definitely show mercy and, and love rather than to sacrifice, that God's character is opposite of, of how we've maligned him. Randy. Randy, 
when I was young, I always questioned why God would love me. Um, on earth, we, we see that you're loved if you have loving qualities. Yes. Even from our earthly parents, if, if I was a good boy, yeah. my parents loved me. If not, they hated me. That was the, that was the thing in your mind. Yeah, and, and it's yeah. this, so I thought, well, God would either be, have to be really stupid or dumb or crazy. Or just not paying attention to your behavior. Yeah, because yeah. if he, if either he doesn't know me, because if he knew me, he wouldn't love me. Yeah. And if he knew me and loved me, he'd be crazy. Yeah. And so for the your whole life, you're wondering, what can I do to make sure that I'm worthy enough so that he would love me? Yeah, yeah. And what that leads to, Randy, is what many of us struggle with. We, most of us in this room, if not all of us, struggle with low spiritual self-esteem. We understand in some ways how do you deal with social self-esteem, but spiritual self-esteem, many people haven't talked about it. And that's why many of you are paying close attention today because you're like, wait, if God views me differently than how I view myself, then that does help me in even my own thoughts of who I am, my acceptance by God, despite the fact that I'm not perfect. And our spiritual self-esteem, I think, is going to have a huge, um, a huge dose, uh, a dose of, uh, of helpfulness today as we read through Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. The NIV reads this way. For this reason, oh, why do you have to start it like that? Now we've got to go back and think about what he just talked about. What were we just talking about last week? Anybody remember? I know it was amazing. You'll never forget. <laughs> How God's desire is to love people even beyond, even beyond the delineations that you've made, that God wants to save these people because they're doing this. And historically, family after family, generation after generation, they followed God. They did the work. And God says, well, that's nice, but I'm giving it to these people who didn't work at all. The people here that barely know me, in fact, are bringing the wrong casserole to potluck. Do you know what meat is in that casserole? <laughs> I'm loving those people too. And I'm accepting those people too. And they had this whole issue of circumcision or, or no circumcision. And God says, doesn't matter. I'm bringing those people in too because a lot of you have been circumcised. It didn't change your heart. So what does it matter if it's not changing your heart? And so last week, we talked about God's love goes beyond the borders that we set. And then Paul says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, than all we ask or imagine according to his power that, that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. 
Amen. It's a prayer. By the way, we just read two sentences. Uh, it, Paul's long-winded in his sentences. In two sentences, he has a prayer. And in that prayer, he has three, maybe four, depending on how you break it down, prayer requests. First of all, it says, I kneel. We read right past that and go, great, good, you're kneeling. That's what every good Christian should do. You know, kneel on, the, on your knees, fold your hands, close your eyes, which you teach all the kids, right? But in Paul's day, you did not kneel customarily for prayer. Typically, if you were praying, you either were standing respectfully or you were prostrate on the ground. You were laying down, face down on the ground. When you knelt, it specified something very specifically to the Jewish culture. You knelt when you were pleading. So he tells us in something we read right past, he's pleading for this because he understands the importance of this in his own life. Once he understood what he's about to share in this prayer with you, he's pleading that you'll get it because this is the key that changes everything in your walk with Christ to become the fullness of everything that God wants to do in you and through you. And so he's pleading because he wants these Jews and these Gentiles who are trying to unite here together in a church to get what will change everything, what will bring ultimate power to their spiritual walk and will do everything that God wants to do in that space. So then he goes on and he asks his first prayer request is that God the Father will strengthen you with power, which is very redundant. I want to empower you with power. I want to strengthen you with more strength. It's, it's redundant, but we have to understand what he's saying here. Verse 16, the verb strengthen. It speaks of being made strong or capable. And capable is probably the closer meaning in the understanding of, of the Greeks who heard it at first. So Paul is praying here that God the Father would strengthen you so that you would be capable of containing the power, the dunamis. This time we say power, it's dunamis. We're going to say power here in a couple of, uh, a couple of phrases from now. And it's a different word, but dunamis. This is the dynamic power. It's where we get the word dynamite. So he's saying it's that force of power. It's dynamite power. So I'm praying that God the Father will send the, the Holy Spirit into your life to help you contain dynamite level power. Because if you can't contain it, what God will do through you might hurt. And in many ways wounds you. So he's saying, I need God the Father to make sure that he preps you and he and the Holy Spirit work with you to create an environment that's capable of containing all God is going to do, which is dynamite power, dynamite level power. So that your inner being would be a comfortable place where Christ may dwell. And why do I say comfortable place where Christ may dwell? Is because in verse 17, that word dwell, it's made up of two words. The first word, okeo, which means to live in as a home. Okay? So it's not a hotel. It's not a temporary dwelling, but this is your home. And kata, which means literally down. But when they would say this phrase together, the expanded translation would be that Christ might finally settle down and feel completely at home in your hearts. 
So in this one verse uh, phrase, it's part of a sentence, like I said, it's this huge compound complex sentences that he writes throughout Ephesians. And in this first prayer request of three or four prayer requests here, he says, you need to understand something that no one's talking about. Because people are saying, I use the name of Jesus. In fact, there were soothsayers who would try to pronounce the name of Jesus correctly. Because if you said the word correctly, that's where the power was. And you could heal people. And you can find those individuals even in like Acts 19. You got the seven sons of Sceva who don't even believe in Jesus that are going around trying to say it correctly so that they can cast out the disease of sniffles and, and disease and your cough and whatever it is uh, going around with their snake oil. Paul says it's not just about having Jesus in your life. That's not where your fullest power comes. Yeah, power comes. But if you're just saying, dear Jesus, come into my life, uh, that's nice, but that's not where the full power is. He's saying the entire Trinity wants to work in your life. And I don't know if this is revolutionary for you, but in many ways it's revolutionary for me to see it written so clearly in Scripture when I haven't heard it preached uh, much at all, if any, during my lifetime. We typically say that, well, the Holy Spirit comes in and gives you guidance and power, but you don't talk to him because that's, no, you don't talk to the Holy Spirit. In fact, one of the criticisms I get is I pray to the Holy Spirit, but don't worry, I pray to God the Father and I pray to the Son as well. But there's certain times because I understand there are different roles, there's certain things I'm like, hey, Holy Spirit, I understand what you do and I need you to help me in this area because I know this is your job description and I need you to be released in my life to do what you want to do. And so I talk directly to the Holy Spirit. And I'm sorry if anyone's offended by that, but there's nothing wrong with it because the Bible never says don't pray to the Holy Spirit. It does say there are times when your prayer requires someone else. And so there are times when you can't even form words. And it says at those times, the Holy Spirit goes up before the throne of God the Father. And they, in this heavenese language, will have groanings that only they understand. So they translate it into this, they get it. It's a made-up heavenese groanings. And then God says, oh, I get it. Well, what are we going to do? And in that moment, you see in the scripture, it's not just God the Father on a throne, distant, saying, well, that really stinks. Can't wait for them to get to heaven. They'll see what life was really supposed to be. And they screwed it all up. It's not that way. God is taking an active part. And in that active part, there's his groanings. And then the, he and the Holy Spirit say, okay, let's do it. But God understands you. He understands that when God is going to bring into your life the magic that only God can bring, you are not capable of containing that. It can wreck you. When God can, and many of you have experienced it, I experienced it in my life, especially during college, when God switched my major from pre-med to theology. <laughs> totally wrecked me. I was demolished, which is great, because then he could rebuild me. But God says throughout your life, it, it, I don't want you to be from one accident to the next. What I want to do is I want to prepare you because it's all three of us at work in you. It's not just the Holy Spirit. 
Even though Jesus Christ said in Acts chapter 1, just before he ascended back into heaven, he says, wait, don't do anything until the one I'm going to send you comes because he will bring power. We're talking about the power here. So don't do anything on your own. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And in my mind, I always envision, okay, so now God the Father and Jesus are just up in heaven? Judging? That's what I was taught growing up. Oh, they're judging. How long does it take them to figure out who their friends are? For crying out loud. It took you seven days to create the heavens and the earth, and it's taken you 2,000 plus years to figure out who your friends are? So that obviously can't be the answer. They're not in heaven trying to figure out whether you're getting a lump of coal or whether you're getting what you asked for on your list. So something else is going on. And this verse says, they are not tucked away in heaven, letting the Holy Spirit do his job now and just waiting for a specific time to come around when he says, okay, yeah, I guess I'll go get whoever's waiting for me now. This text says, right now, God the Father wants to work with you. And what he wants to do is something magical. He wants to prepare your heart. And he says, I can't do it by myself. Because of how I've created everything, I need someone tangibly right there with you. And so I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit. But guess what? Unless I'm working with you, you won't be able to contain the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you can't contain the power of the Holy Spirit, because what is the power of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is preparing a place for Jesus to live. Sounds a lot like John uh, 14, where Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. The Holy Spirit says, I go to prepare a place for him. So that Jesus might feel comfortable at home within you, literally, within you. Kicking up his feet on the ottoman, leaning back on the couch, crossing his arms and saying, ah, I'm home. All three of them. Paul's prayer request is if you really want to have the spiritual breakthrough you've been wanting, it can't just be you saying one out of the three is enough. He's saying, I pray fervently on my knees that God the Father, through his magical way, will work with you so that when the Holy Spirit comes, you can contain it. Galatians 5, verse 16 and onward explains. Paul writes this to the Galatians saying, I want you to understand what this power is. The Holy Spirit changes your cravings. He can take the things that you're craving and give you cravings that are opposite of what your sinful nature desires so that you can create a, pl a place where Christ is comfortable to dwell. Does that make sense? So all three of them want to work together with you. So as we look at this, this first prayer request requires all three members of the Godhead. What do you see here that's interesting about this concept? So go ahead and raise your comment, your question cards, and, uh, and share with us. As we've been talking through this, what's this making you think of? How is, this, how is this affecting you as you look at this concept of all three members of the Trinity working in your life today? I've seen the Holy Spirit the last few years as one of my best friend's constant companion who's always saying, he's always pointing to 
like when you're doing your devotion and you see what Jesus did and how much God the Father loves you. But he's been become a really dear friend because he's always right there yeah. talking to you. So he's a comforter. It, it is, and that's why Jesus not only called him a comforter, but Jesus, when he was trying to prepare his disciples who would become apostles in, in a matter of days, um, he's trying to prepare them. He says, I'm, don't worry, I'm going to send you another paraclete. And all of us say, great, what's a paraclete? Um, and if you do the word study on that, the word that's skipped over more often than not, because we, we run right to paraclete, is the word another. Well, they had a paraclete? Well, that's why they call it paraclete. It's a pair of cleats, right? No. Um, <laughs> another. The important thing is Jesus is saying, look, you've had a paraclete. You've had an advocate. You've had a disciple maker. Don't worry, you're going to have another. In other words, Jesus says, by saying another, he's saying, I was your paraclete. Don't worry, I'm not leaving you alone. You're going to have another me, another disciple maker, another guide, another one to help you understand the kingdom of God. And so the Holy Spirit very much is Jesus part two. That's why Jesus said, it's best for you that I go away. What's good about Jesus going away? He was teaching directly. I mean, he was an eyewitness of the things of heaven. So what, what would be better about Jesus going away? And the reality is just what you said. The Holy Spirit can be anywhere on the planet, anytime that you invite him in. And so if you wish that you would have had the experience of being discipled by Jesus Christ, Jesus says, well, I sent you another. It's a, it's, it's a second me. And he's available to you. And it is better for you today that Jesus went back to heaven because uh, there's not a stadium in the world that can fit all of us that would be crowding around trying to hear Jesus speak about the kingdom of God. And that the Holy Spirit can come inside your heart when you're at home alone and share with you the mysteries of God and the kingdom of heaven. So that's absolutely true. I want you to look at a couple other words here Paul uses. One of the things I love about Paul is he's a wordsmith and very poetic. And so he uses uh, several poetic terms. He says his desire uh, it, that you would be rooted and established in love. And it's funny that he uses these words because he's really mixing metaphors here because rooted is an agricultural term. And established is an architectural term. It's the same word that you would use for building a foundation. So in both senses, he's saying, I want your roots to go deep because that's, that's a good illustration. I want you to have depth. But at the same time, I want you to have a foundation that when the earthquake comes, it's strong enough to withstand the earthquake. It's uh, good enough to handle the hurricane, the tornado, whatever it is. I want you to have a, a firm foundation that's solid and unmovable. The interesting thing is what he wants them to be rooted and established in. What's, what's he so concerned about them being rooted and established in? love. Now, I've been to several churches during my career where if I preached a sermon on love, uh, there's a certain uh, contingent of church members who'd come up and would complain because I just did a frosting-coated uh, frou-frou sermon, in their words. You know, when are you going to talk about the real important things? When are you going to talk about, you know, 
uh, not wearing jewelry and not eating certain meats and the, the, the way that we dress and makeup. You think I'm making this up, but I've literally had people ask me every single one of those at certain places when I preach a sermon on love. But Paul is so adamant that you be rooted and established in understanding what this love is all about, that he's fallen on his knees pleading to God that this is the one key ingredient. If you get it, you'll be able to understand things you've never understood before. And I want to get to that. So let's look at uh, verse 18. He talks about power. He prays that you might have power. And this time he doesn't use dunamis. He uses axis chisete, which means to have inherent strength. Once again, we're coming inside, this internal strength. He wants the Holy Spirit to give you containing power, to contain the dynamite power. But here he says, but I also want you to have a different type of power. And this type of power is the inherent strength together with all the saints, to grasp something. This word grasp is also really interesting as well because I like how NIV says grasp. Other translations will say comprehend. Um, Comprehend is a weaker word uh, out of the two translations of of this Greek word. There's a very close-sounding word that they probably should have gone with, which is apprehend. I want you to apprehend. Now, if you are working a uh, police case and you apprehend a suspected criminal, what does that mean? <laughs> you, you, you got them, you bound them up, they're in the back seat of the car. You apprehended them, grasped them. It's a very physical term. Paul says, I want you to grasp or apprehend something. And what is that something? how wide, how long, how high, and he goes even farther, and deep is the love of Christ. Now understand something. In in the day that Paul wrote this, they would only list three dimensions. We read through this, oh yeah, he's trying to make sure we have this way and that way, and wait, we already covered that way, and Paul goes an extra dimension. We translate it as depth. Other translations of this word can mean breadth. Um, breadth. Um, but it was unnecessary because in Paul's day, they were like, I don't even know what that dimension is. And so he's speaking in the fourth dimension in the th- three-dimensional world. And what he's trying to help you apprehend and grasp is What? the dimensions of God's love. He wants you to understand how far it expands. And in order to fully understand that, it's all the stuff we just talked about. It takes God in the picture to understand the picture of God. And so he's praying desperately that in some way, internally, you'll have this inherent strength to even contain this understanding of how God's love defies every dimension. Red microphone. I'm thinking about last week and uh, the discussion about the revelation that God (coughs) loves the Gentiles as much as he does the Jews. Uh, 
Yeah. And I'm glad for that because I'm a Gentile. Yeah. In fact, last week, I, I, there was not a single Jew in here, not even a Jewish <laughs> person. Yeah. But, but when, as you read this, it just really hits me. He says, together with all, with all the saints yeah. that you may grasp this. And, and yeah. the love of God just goes so far beyond our, our world, our vision, yeah. and, and the people that are around us that we don't like that offend us or that yeah. irritate us. God loves those people with, yeah. with an amazing depth of love. Yeah, and, and thanks, thanks for drawing our attention to that too, Terry, because we read all the saints. And so we think it's all the people who have it all together. Um, the actual wording there is all the people of God. So I would ask you, if I were to ask how many of you are saints, I would get a few raising your hands. If I were to ask how many of you are people of God, meaning you're a person that wants to follow God, all of you would raise your hands. Now, you bring up another point. Terry, there are people that we disagree with fervently. Are they people of God or not? (laughs) Now I'm meddling. I know. I know. Because God loves them too, even though we hate them. Back here. uh, Purple. Yes, purple microphone. So I was just looking at this and reading... When you talk about God's depth of love, yeah. I think we don't really grasp it yeah. because I think we re- God is forgiving and done so much for us, yeah. but we're so easy to hold grudges yeah. and hold things against people yeah. and don't realize God has called us to do so much more, love so much more, so much yeah. more deeply. And once we grasp where he's done for us, is this what this person has said or done? that much that I can't get over it. Yeah. I need, I need the power of the Spirit to help us. That. We, we do, and, and thank you, because if you go back to Galatians 5, and now look at verses 22 through 24, you'll see the outpouring of what happens when you put this formula that Paul's talking about, where the Trinity's working with you, and now you're living a new life of the Spirit. It says, Galatians 5, 22, that if the Holy Spirit's living you, in you, he will produce in you these fruits. And I love how the New Living Translation translates it that way because I always read the fruit of the Spirit are all these things I don't have. There's nine fruit, and I don't even have the banana of long-suffering. I'm sorry. Um, I don't know how they were presented to you in, in the felts in the little primary class, but the apple of love and the orange of joy and these nine characteristics. The reality is, Dwight, if, if we continue in our present path of saying, God is love, so I need to be love. God is forgiving to these people, so I need to be forgiving. God's tolerant of these people's behavior, so I have to be tolerant. We're always going to be intolerant, unloving people. Because it's only the Holy Spirit's power working within you that will produce something that you in and of yourself never could. This is the power. Complete radical life change is what God brings in when he comes into your life. He changes you. He doesn't make you more weird. He makes you more powerful. If you're weird, I'm sorry, you're always going to be weird. But you won't be more weird by becoming a follower of Christ and letting the Holy Spirit take charge and produce in you these fruit. Now, some theologians have looked at that list 
of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, uh, self-control, so on. And they've looked at this list and they've said, it starts with love, but it never ends talking about love. Because in order to truly be joy-filled, you cannot be joy-filled without having love as part of your joy. You can't be at peace without having love as part of your peace. You can't be gentle without having love. You can't be kind. You, You can't be patient. You can't do anything without having love at the core of everything. And so that's why it's so important to Paul for people to understand that you're rooted and established in something that the world sees as frosting-coated, frou-frou stuff. Love. But it's key to every single success that you can have spiritually in your life. Blue microphone over here. Um, well, well, you said that the... Don't do it alone. Okay. Um, the community helps you to see, grasp a little bit of God's, God's love. Yeah. And I'm very thankful for being here today mm. because this study gives me, I don't know if I'm going to miss your point, but for me, it was a point like showing that all three are working in me yeah. means like I'm the biggest fixer upper in the universe. <laughs> and by contrast, mm. I know how great today I understand is the, their love for me. Yeah. Because if they're willing to invest on a fixer-upper like me and all three need to work on me, yeah. well, first, it devalues me to the point that I really need them. Yeah. And second, how big is, how great is this love? Absolutely. And you're in good company because the guy who actually wrote this scripture says elsewhere, he, call, he, can, he uh, calls himself the chief of sinners. And he also says in Romans chapter 7, 14 to 21, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, those are the things I keep on doing. And so you're in good company. Uh, And as long as we keep that mindset that we are all fixer-uppers, this remodel can happen to where finally one day they'll say, move that bus. And people say, whoa, look at you. You know, and look what God has done. Exactly. Randy. Sorry, green microphone. I even read in one commentary that the NIV is actually guilty of not translating but interpreting this part of the verse because when Paul says the height and breadth and and depth, he's not only talking about God's love, but he's talking about all dimensions of God, his understanding, his sense of humor, his... his, um, uh, just all knowing and it's not just about his love it's about everything about god yeah yeah um it's true as as a word nerd myself trying to look at these verses every week and say what's as close as we can get to the original intent um we have to give all bible translations uh a pat on the back because so much is interpretation we have to interpret because the words and even Paul, you know, where the subject is and the predicate and all this, it's all scrambled sometimes. And so we're trying to put it together and say, what was he trying to say? And so uh, the, the beautiful thing with scripture is it's living, breathing. And as we get more and more manuscripts from the era and see how words are used, it helps us even today to look at these verses and understand God better as we try to interpret, because there's no such thing as translation without interpretation. It's impossible in, uh, in biblical translation and, and, uh, and how you get it in, into your own language. So 
it's good because we get to keep learning. In the closing minute, I want to share with you a couple of things here that Paul's praying for. He wants you to know the beyond knowable, which is literally what the language is saying there. In verse 19, it says, I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And so it starts out saying, I want you to know something that is not knowable. And that thing that I want you to know about is God's love. So how can you know something that's beyond knowable? And he goes, he goes on basically, uh, the words to know are a translation of gnosko, which speaks of knowledge gained by experience. Okay, so he wants you to experience. The apprehension of verse 18 is conceptual knowledge. In verse 19, this conceptual knowledge passes into experiential knowledge as the saint experiences in his life that comprehension of the love of Christ for him in the sphere of his earthly life. The word surpasses, it's a participle of hooperbalo. By the way, he uses hooper three times in this verse. I want things beyond, above and beyond. He's just uh, uh, above and beyond everything. Which means to throw over or beyond or transcend, exceed or excel. This love surpasses knowledge, gnosko, experiential knowledge. That is, no matter how much the saint experiences the love of Christ, there are yet oceans of love in the great heart of God that have not yet been touched by his experience. So the question I want you to talk about over lunch with your loved ones is how have you experienced God's love in a way that has surpassed people's knowledge of his love? Because there's a lot of people out there that are saying, oh, I know you Christians. You're just politically motivated. You're all about what you get. You're all about guns and Trump. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but that's not what I'm about. I mean, I, I, I don't have any, anything against anybody who loves guns or loves Trump. I don't care. I love everybody. But I'll tell you, there's a love that makes a difference to me that they'll never get. Because what you just read there is there is an experience of love that goes beyond what people think they could ever experience. And perhaps you've already had that opportunity, or perhaps it's just moments away. That moment when even by yourself, you're doing something, something as simple as praying, and maybe you're talking and maybe you're just silent. And in that moment, God comes into your life, into your space in a way that overwhelms you. And you feel like, why am I at the point of tears? I'm just sitting here alone, praying to God, and I feel this overwhelming love that if I were to try to talk about this to anybody else, they would never get it. Because what I now experience is beyond their knowing. Paul finishes by saying, on top of all of that, there's immeasurably more. To him who is able to do. God's ability is beyond measuring. Immeasurably more than what? Two things. What you can ask or even imagine. So those of you with really good imaginations that figure out what to ask, he can go beyond that. And then just to make sure you understand, hey, that was really cute, how much you imagine God doing in your life, in your family, in your community, in your church. No matter how far you imagine God being able to work, he says, oh, that's cute. 
let's try it this way with the cherry on top. That, to me, has been evident in this Bible study in that I had hoped to have 40 people stay a year and a half with me. And yet now we have thousands of people around the world who are saying, I can't wait to go on this journey every Sabbath because God is doing beyond anything I thought. This is beyond anything I asked for or even imagined. I just want to talk about the character of God. And God wanted to talk to you about his character too. And I'm sure the biggest thing God wants you to know is how much more he wants to work in your life and work in your life beyond what you can even ask or imagine. So I, I, I hope that this week you start asking and, and imagining such great things just so you can see that God has no limits in your life in what he wants to do and help you to truly be a revolutionary in your community, to transform that community with love. Now, I'm so thankful that you went through this conversation and I know you will not regret coming back next episode because in session seven of God's Blueprint, we're gonna take a look in Ephesians chapter four and ask the question, what's the difference between unity and uniformity? You don't wanna miss it. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at Programs are recorded each Saturday at 10.30 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.